Pat McConkey. Dave Holmes. How is it well, going? How do you feel? I, I've really never been better. Um, mm. Just feeling terrific about uh, our country and our leadership oh. and just um, the whole concept of consequences and uh, mm. responsibility, I think, in our country has never been stronger. And I love it. And I'm and I'm and I'm really grateful. I really want to say more than anything, I'm super grateful to every religious slash conservative person who I grew up with who made me feel like a degenerate for being slightly progressive and gay. Um, because certainly they have held the line and stood for integrity and tradition and convention and truth and sacrifice. And all of the, the things that they made me feel like shit for, for literal decades, mm -hmm. um, they have really, really stuck to it. And everyone's doing the reflection that I was hoping that they would and, uh, and moving forward with new and fresh self-knowledge. So that's my mental state right now. How are you? Same. Exactly yeah. the same. Couldn't okay, cool, cool. I say it better. Never slept better. Oh, uh, terrific. I Good sleep here. Mainlining um, MSNBC for yeah. 14 hours, two days in a row. Oh, um, my God. In heaven. Yeah, it's we're, we're just living in hell. And by the way, recording this Thursday afternoon, who knows uh -huh. what fresh hell we'll wake up to on Friday. But, oh, yeah. You know, there have been so many times where we're like, should we record given everything that's happening? And it's and it, it's often so massive that it's hard to even say anything about it. Uh, -huh. uh, you know, and you know, but as we were saying before we started recording, it's like, on the other hand, there's nothing that, uh, I could use more than like a, a walk and little break from, from all of it with, uh, some know, Isaac Mizrahi. Right. Yeah. I so, know that's right. I, yesterday in the middle at the fever, uh, pitch of yesterday, as things were really like after they broke in. And yet before they walked away to go back to happy hour at their hotel, mm -hmm. un, unburdened, unstopped um, by Unburdened, un, unmasked, all of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, I was like, I don't have to be sitting here and watching this. I can go out on my bike and listen to Italian disco for a full hour. And so that's what I did. I recommend oh, that. thank God. I recommend that over that Isaac Mizrahi at Cafe Carlisle. That's right. Yeah, you can yeah. listen to him uh, talk to us right after this. And, uh, uh -huh. and then you have to watch his show, Isaac at Cafe Carlisle, which you can yep. get uh, online on demand at broadwayworld.com. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll tweet the link. Of course. And the ticket link. What a what a dream of an interview and I a mean, guest. Could he have been better? He was so, like, immediately I was like, oh, this is my friend Isaac Mizrahi. Yes. He's just... Uh, Charming and friendly and handsome, and uh, I, I I dug him. We we fell head over heels with him. Just love him. Well, I mean, what, what should we just get to it? Let's get to it. Should we Let's just fucking uh, get to it? Uh, yeah. Uh, without further ado, here yeah. is Isaac Mizrahi. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back with Isaac Mizrahi. Hello. Hi. Uh, Isaac Mizrahi in his cute glasses. Right. I'm wearing the cute glasses, the warm shoes. I'm drinking yeah. some Pellegrino water. 
Oh, yeah, you are. Perfect. I'm having a little Topo Chico. I'm your West Coast counterpart right now. Nice. Um, it is, uh, from what I understand, a snowy day in New York City. Yeah. I mean, of course, I love the snow. There are a lot of snow haters, but I love the snow. I'm a snow lover. I'm a snow lover. Except that you can't, at this time in history, duck into Julius like uh, Melissa McCarthy and Can You Ever Forgive Me? Exactly. Which is all I want to do on a snowy day in New York City. Of course. So what do you do? This is even more snowy than that. I mean, this is, well, it was, it's this kind of snow where it became sleet in the middle and then more snow and then more sleet. And so it's layers of ice at this point. So you really can't walk. And that's not just like a really old person saying, don't hurt yourself. You know, Mm -hmm. seriously, this is like a not, you can't even walk outside, but it's great. Are are you avoiding the outside? How often are you getting out and trudging through that? Um, Well, you know, I went out once this morning to get the newspaper because I can't read. I mean, I read stuff online and I read the New York Times online, but I have to, I don't know why I have to see the obituaries every single day in print, in newsprint, from the New York Times. Mm. I mean, that's a crazy thing I've been doing since I can since high school. You know, it's like really? I must see the obituaries. Yeah. And the other thing I have to do in with news in non-newsprint is the crossword puzzle. I can't yeah. do the damn thing on my phone. I just can't. Me either. Can't do can't it. Do also it. can't it get through a be... Sunday without doing it. It's well, I mean, if you really want to talk about it, I find Sundays to be like too long and thematic. I like them when they're really hard and not thematic. I got to tell mm. you. Sorry. We're opposites there. I, I love a good theme. And in fact, once I figured out the theme <laughs> and I've filled in all the long answers, I kind of do lose interest. Well, that's what I'm saying. It's like, yeah. it's not that interesting because it's like, oh, a theme. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, you mm. add like three letters instead of one letter. You know, it's just whatever. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, but I do love it. Now, last Sunday's New York Times had a whole pu- puzzle section. Did it? It had a whole well, puzzle section. You're kidding. With, with a, f- a giant crossword that, is, that was the whole center page. Come so it was on. both sides of a giant page. Yeah, I mean, like literally hundreds of, uh, of clues. And I opened it up, and my boyfriend was sitting next to me, and he was like, that's the hottest thing I've ever seen. And I was like, you are absolutely right. And I've been That's tinkering right. with it's it like all week long. the 10-inch, the 10 by 10-inch yes. crossword puzzle. Now, wait, yes. because here's the thing about, like, so I don't do the Sunday crossword, so I don't usually buy the paper on Sundays because it's just a lot oh, of paper and it's a lot to go through. And it's a lot of arts and a lot of leisure and a lot of stuff, a lot of real estate. And I don't really have the room in my life for the Sunday Times. I'm more a daily guy. Oh, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. So you don't want to consume a hard copy of the Sunday Styles? Um, no, I really don't. Especially not the Sunday Styles. Sorry to the Styles Interesting. people. I love Ooh. the Styles people. I just don't like the Styles section. Sorry. Mm. Oh, what? I don't. What's, what, what's, why? Let's, let's start you know, some I don't beats. know. You know, I have to say it's probably because it, no matter what, no matter how democratic they try to make it, it just excludes people. It's just like, oh, here's something you don't know about style. And I don't know why, but I find it like, it's weird. I don't need, I don't need to be, re- I don't need my style to be remedied or informed yeah. by that particular thing. You know what I mean? To me, sure. that's like, that's like shooting goldfish in a barrel, like someone telling you what's stylish, yeah. right? Sorry, mm-hmm. I just don't. I love arts criticism and I love, well, fashion criticism, I guess. But really, I don't know why. I just think a whole section devoted to it is like yeah. a little bit, you know, God, because some of my best friends are style, you know, style contributors and style editors. So, like, I love you. I just don't like that section. That's all. Boom. I said it there. I said wow. it. 
And I know you, that's pretty are, outspoken, but I, you obviously have been written about in this the styles a million times. But if you are I if guess. you are told in now passing, darling, now like, I just like nailed the last the last nail in the coffin. No, no, no. I'm never going to be. You're, you're giving us something else to write about. Um, <laughs> if, you, if you're told just in passing that there that you're mentioned in a piece, are you more likely to avoid it or more likely to seek it out to see what they said? Um, well, you know, like I have to tell you the God's truth. This is like a horrible admission. I'm just going to make this right now. I haven't looked at any fashion journalism since like, I would say like the middle 1990s. I just don't, I can't stand it. Yeah. It makes my skin crawl. I just don't like it. Like I haven't looked at Vogue. So if some, if I get a credit in a magazine or somebody mentions me, usually it's like, a company that flags it or my person, this person that I work with flags the thing to show it to me. And I read it and I go, oh, how great. And I thank whoever it is or, oh, how horrible. Thank you for nothing. You know, right. But yeah. that's just I'm sorry. That's just I don't I guess because, you know, I do it and I take it so seriously or something or I don't do it anymore. So I take it. I like have a wound over it or I'm like a little vulnerable about the subject you know, is that crazy? Sure. It's not crazy. No, well, I, I mean, no. of course, my mind goes right to that famous scene from Unzipped when you are shown the Women's Wear Daily. Exactly. Think about oh, Gautier yeah. had just done this um, line that was similar to the one that you were working on. Right. Alutes, alutes, darling. Alutes, like the oh. Eskimo, Eskimo yes. question. Yes. Yes. Um, and the thing is, you know, I hadn't seen it. I was so happy in my bubble of just this creativity. And so I protect myself in this way, you know. And um, and it's I feel like it's really important because and it's also really stupid because as a, as an artist, you want to see what else is out there just because you don't want to repeat or do the same thing or, you know, uh, and that just I'm sorry. It's my own. It's the only way that I preserve. It's the only way that I can preserve my creativity. It's the only way that I can preserve it is not to look. You know, I have people who write for The New Yorker. They can't read The New Yorker. I have people, you know, friends that like yeah. I don't know. It just I. I don't know. That's just who I am. And actors who won't, who can't watch their work, podcast yeah, exactly. hosts who can't listen to the sound of their own voice. Uh, <laughs> I get it. Well, all of the above. How about all of the above? That's right. You know, me. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. right. Matt? What are you watching Sorry. in quarantine? We're probably going to ask, ask the same question. I'm watching this unbelievable Swedish show called The Restaurant on Prime. Which you oh, have to pay for. It. Like, not only do you have to pay for Prime, like whatever it is, $100 a year, but now you have to pay like $20 to get like each season. But oh. it's so darn good. It's like, it's this kind of melodrama about a restaurant family, like, and it starts at the end of World War II. It literally starts at the end, like on VJ Day. And like, it's mm -hmm. this fabulous big celebration in the streets of Sweden. And, um, and it's Stockholm and it's so beautiful. It's like, it, it, it's kind of like, it's very mellow. It's like melodrama, you know, um, Douglas Sirk or something, right? Mm. It's like Douglas Sirk, except it's very, very gritty and very modern. And it tells the whole story and not just the outer parts of the story, the way Douglas Sirk had to in his day. You know, he couldn't mention certain things, so he didn't. But you kind of knew what was going on. Here they right. kind of give you everything, right? But the the only reason I, I bring up Douglas Sirk is because the color of the series is really beautiful. And they I don't know how they do these sort of establishing shots of the streets of Stockholm in the period, I think they must have came come across like some trove of, you know, of exterior 
shots, you know, mm-hmm. like available exterior shots, and they look colorized to me. Anyway, it's so visually like incredible to watch. It's like an acid trip sometimes. And the acting is gorgeous. And there are some gorgeous, gorgeous people in it. There are two women in it that are so beautiful. I cannot believe that they haven't been sort of, you know, Hollywood hasn't swooped up and just devoured them, you know. And there's also some fine looking men too. Trust me, some fine looking men. Yeah. Okay. Well, it is Sweden. Sweden, darling, Sweden, yes. And the furniture, oh, I mean, like, you know, and just like the hospital room, you know, there are a million, I said melodrama, right? So like every other scene takes place in the hospital, but you haven't lived until you've seen like a 1950s modern Swedish hospital room. Like you haven't lived. It's all white and totally blown out. It's so gorgeous. So gorgeous. Oh, I am in. I'm all the way in. Seriously, I'm telling you, like, you don't even need to, like, you know, you sometimes you need to see the first episode or the first two episodes, and then it's like, oh, my God, Breaking Bad, what the fuck, you know? Yeah. But in this case, like, literally from the credits, you're like, I'm in. I'm in. Yeah. Okay. Wow. wow. And also, I love so- the sound of the language. I love the yeah. sound of the Swedish language. Tak. Tak, darling. Tak. I um, I went there uh, 20 years ago or so and fell in love with it and I've always wanted to go back and I've never done it. I've, I want to go for the summer solstice where like the sun goes down at, you know, two in the morning and rises at 245 mm-hmm. and everyone's just takes the week off work. And one of the th- one of the things I'm most proud of that I've done in my life was I directed a production of um, uh the Sondheim thing that takes place in Sweden. And I want to say Midsummer Night's Dream, but it's not. It's called, oh, music, uh, uh, something a with little music. Night music. A little night music. Oh, my God. That, see, my brain is not connecting. The, 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 <laughs> it's okay. The, the, yeah. we're good. Um, You're doing great. Anyway, little night music. I directed it in St. Louis at the Opera Festival, and it was so beautiful. And I thought about going. Just, I didn't have the time to go, and I always yeah. felt guilty about not going and just making assumptions about, like, you know, Swedish culture and Swedish people. It was, I guess, it was like before cultural appropriation or something. Like, how dare you? And yet, I think it was the most beautiful thing I've ever done. You know, wow. So. Um, yeah, everyone's beautiful and you eat reindeer breakfast, lunch and dinner. Um, <laughs> now where, where did you hang out in St. Louis? That's my hometown. Oh, I don't know. The Lou, darling. The Lou is a great mm-hmm. town. We mm-hmm. went to a million places. I mean, the hotel where I stayed was fine, but I actually got an apartment. I mean, I sort of dug in for a minute. I was at this apartment. That was kind of scary. It was a little scary because all the way at the top. And mm-hmm. I have I have like heat phobia. Like I don't like the summer, which is what, where we started the interview. I love the winter. I like cold yeah. weather. I don't like hot weather. It makes me very claustrophobic and literally sad. Like I get very sad when it's hot. Yeah. And sun makes me a little sad. Yeah. So St. Louis gets really hot. And this apartment was like at the top of the, and they have all these electrical storms and I kept, and the tiniest little elevator. And I kept thinking like, nice, I'm going to be in like an elevator in the middle of a fucking storm and get stuck in the elevator. And it was also like at, like on the bottom floor of this apartment building, there was this crazy like cancer clinic. And so I always felt like the chemicals were just permeating the walls of that crazy complex, you know? Are you in the Central West End? It's what it sounds like. Maybe. I don't know. Honestly, okay. I, someone drives me to a place and I just I go, gotcha. you know? Yeah. Okay. Like I've been to Los Angeles a thousand times and I swear a thousand times. 
I practically lived in Los Angeles. I still don't know if you say, oh, you know, sunset. I'm like, okay, thank you. Send a driver, you know, because <laughs> I won't get there otherwise. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, let's talk obituaries. Any any good deaths? Uh, well, today, Sarah Leyland. Did you see that? She was a great no. ballerina. Oh, Sarah Leyland. I mean, when I was a kid, I saw her dance, I'm sure. I mean, honestly, I know I've seen film about her, but I'm sure I've seen her dance million times because like I guess like she was in like the 70s or the 80s at New York City Ballet mostly the 70s which was when I was going like a lot when I was in high school you know I went to City Ballet almost every night that I wasn't going to ABT because I had friends in those companies you know so I would go either like sit in the house or go backstage you know anyway so Sarah Leyland died and she was a beautiful ballerina, and I'm sad about that. And then Anne Rankin. I mean, we saw yeah. that obituary yesterday. Yeah. What? So, and we still don't know what happened. Uh, she just she, uh, passed in her sleep. Heart failure, I think it wasn't it. Heart failure or something. Yeah, but yeah. I know, I know, yeah. I know. It's like she went to sleep and never woke up. Really? Yeah. Thank you, Hansel and Gretel, for that obituary. You know, like, <laughs> could you tell us yeah. what happened? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But that's insane. Uh, I was always, I grew up with my parents saying, oh, that's the way to go. When someone would die in their sleep. Oh, that's the way. Oh, to go. Me, I don't that's think exactly. it is. I know. I don't know. I, it's so scary. It seems like, oh, good night. Permanently. No. You know? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You want to put a few things in order, maybe, Thank you know? You. Yeah. Thank you. And like when it happens, I want a scene. You know what I mean? Like, I, I want a moment. I'm not, I'm not just well, trying to wait nap a minute. out. Listen, darling, get this, like- you know, this show I'm watching in Sweden where the, the uh-huh. fabulous matriarch who's so beautiful, right? And she do- – well, that's a spoiler alert. What doesn't happen for a really long – you have a lot of seasons with this lady, okay? okay Finally, okay. when she dies, you know, this her entire family around I – mean, she has a stroke and she can't talk. And it's so good. It's so well acted. Really, the acting is so good. Anyway, oh, there was her, she had a big scene. That's the that's way to it. go. You just go – Yeah. Exactly. Out. That's it. Mm-hmm. Are you a soap opera person? No, you I ever? don't think so. Not really. No, I used to dabble in all my children because I liked Erica, you know, because she was sure, hilarious, but not yeah. really. No, that was a unique um, one in that it was funny in its way. Yeah, it was very it was funny. Self-aware. And it was chic also it had like a kind of a yeah. chic edge to it. Yeah. yeah. Like a smartness. Yeah. There was a smartness to it. Exactly. Speaking of chic, I was saying before you got on, I just rewatched Unzipped last night, which <gasps> Come on. is your documentary that just turned 25. And mm. it is such a perfect encapsulation of that like mid 90s, uh. mo- the, the era that I wish we, in many ways, we could sort of live in right now. But, and because yeah. it is this, the heyday of just, it's, it's, it's you with like all of the, the models and you're running around with Sandra Bernhard and Andre Natale. And, I'm just curious, like, what is your relationship to nostalgia and 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 what is it like for you looking back at your younger self? Um, I mean, I'm not sure nostalgia is the word, right? Um, looking back and nostalgia, they're not necessarily the same thing, you know, like. Nostalgia tends to be a little bit like maudlin. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh, my darling past where I'm so sad I don't. And it's like, oh, I feel kind of melancholy because of blah, blah. Right. And I don't like to indulge in that. You know, that's creepy a little bit. And yet we can't help ourselves. Sometimes we just feel it, you know, and sometimes it can be sweet. Right. That kind of thing. 
But looking back, listen, his history is a very, very big part of everything I do, you know, like um, whether it's, you know, shows at the Carlisle or shows and, you know, writing stuff or or it's about even fashion. You know, you look back sometimes and I know that everybody's looking back at the 90s now. I remember when I started in the late 80s, everybody was looking at the at the 60s, you know the late 60s, the middle 60s. And um, and then we went through this period where everybody was looking at the 70s. And I mean, it is kind of challenging because you go like, well, why don't we have that kind of freedom, you know? But now that I'm so old and now that I know that like, now that I, now that I know what it was like 20 years ago, you know, like in 25 years ago in the 90s, now that I know it, I understand more um, why it happens. And, and, and I understand more why kids look at their parents' lives with this kind of almost like envy, like why can't we be so free? But darlings, like in 25 years from now, when you look at this time and you go like, Oh, and, and, and the kids are going like, hey, it was so great in the 2020, you know, right? You're going to go like, yeah, not really, except I'm glad you think so. I'm glad you think it was great, you right. know? Yeah. Living through it. I, I was talking about this last night. Living through, like, we were talking about Douglas Sirk earlier, you know? Like, living through that, I would probably have hated it or something. Like, Douglas Sirk mm. movies. Yeah. Right? But looking back on them, they are amazing, beautiful works of art, you know? Um, and by the way, like, speaking of maudlin, right, like I was using that word a lot earlier today, so somehow it like stuck in my palette of words for the day. But like, you know, look, when you give it, give it 30 years, give anything maudlin 30 years, and it becomes like this incredible work of art, like, for instance, like, like Douglas Sirk or Judy Garland, you know, Judy Garland in her day, I'm sure people went like, really, Judy, like, yeah. <laughs> Could you be more campy? Could you be more, mm -hmm. you know, right? And now you look back on it and it's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. Yeah. So, yeah. Like James Dean. I remember my parents telling me, like, when James Dean was alive, he was just like a, the, an actor that you sort of a little bit paid attention to, but not really. Right. Marilyn Monroe, yes. same thing. They weren't well, like these sensations. That I don't know about that. Death. I know. Yeah. In death, yes. But I guess James Dean, Marilyn Monroe, I mean, they were sensations for a moment. They had the world yeah. looking at them for a moment. But I know what she means. And like, you know, I was just thinking about this last night. I was thinking like, maybe I should have a drug habit or something and people would take me more seriously as like this you know, phenomenon, right? Like mm -hmm. maybe then my memoir would win a book award, like, you know, right? right? It's like, it seems like you have to have an addiction or die really young for this kind of, right? That's one easy yeah. way to make it in this world. It's a way yeah. to do it. It's yeah. way to do it. Exactly. It's the path to immortality and abs. You know, totally, if, we, totally. if, we, if we look at, you know, totally, our, totally, our, totally, our red totally. hot chili peppers, our, our you know, our <laughs> yes. Alice in Chains, Absolutely. Exactly. Our, our Iggy Pop. Sure, organization can do wonders for you. Really. <laughs> right. Yeah. Patty Smith, right? It's like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Robert but Maplethorpe. Yeah. Oh, of course. And, and, but, you know, watching you and your peers in that movie, I, it really strikes me how much everyone, it, even, at, even at the time, is so steeped in, in art history and culture and understands the references. And, and I, maybe this is just me being elderly, but, you know, I I have this concern that the next generation of just this doesn't share that. And, you know, a lot of it has to do with like 
the power of social media, obviously, and just people sort of being rewarded for things other than talent and true skill. And I, I guess I'm just wondering what you make of that. Well, you know, I mean, a few things. One, you're right, you know. Two, you're wrong. Because, like, you have to understand, like, kids. How old are you, Matt? Forty. Oh, my God, you're 40? Congratulations, darling. You don't look 40. But anyway, so like the the kids. Well, how old are you, Dave? Are you? I'm 49. What? Mm -hmm. Excuse me? So you're like my contemporary, okay? Like, seriously, I'm only 100 years older than you. Wait, sorry. Stop it. uh, But (laughs) no, I'm 10 years older than you. I'm 40. I'm 58. But anyway, so. You um, look fantastic. The point is that. Wait, listen to this, because like the kids, the kids, right, mm-hmm. they know something we don't know. They do, you know, oh, right. they know right. something that we don't know. So that's where this, that's why you're wrong. OK, but why right. you're right is because like, you know, shame on them. They have it all at their fingertips and they don't know how to look at it. They don't even know how to look at it. You know, my husband is your age, right? Um, he's 49. And I, even even 10 years younger than me, I notice how he watches things, like how he watches in-depth movies and TV things. He watches it like, like he's like, he's watching, t- he's watching TV and he's on his phone, like Googling yeah. things and, you know, mm-hmm. like on Instagram and stuff. And he's watching. And it's like, no, 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 you have to watch this. This is very beautiful. They took pains to shoot this. But by the way, like, I'm guilty of that now, too. You know, even like the most incredibly beautiful films, maybe because I've seen them, you know, Mm a hundred times. But but I also am scrolling and Googling things while I'm watching, you know. But 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 so that's one part of this, like the fact that we can't do one thing. We have to be doing a trillion things. And that's how we're being trained by corporations to do stuff, you know, and. I am guilty of it. So I can't go, you know, you people who do this, we do this, right? Mm. But the thing that actually gets me mad about like younger people is that, you know, like there isn't this sense of urgency to know history, you know, like I remember when I was coming up in the fashion business, when when I was like coming up in like, you know, other businesses, like the entertainment business. And I felt it was my duty also I loved seeing movies. I was at a revival house and it wasn't that easy. It wasn't as easy as it is today. But by the way, you know, if you try to get there, was, like there was, there was a certain benefit about blockbuster video. They had every fucking title. Like they had every movie that was ever made. I mean, I'm not saying they had a good print on a video, on a videotape, mm-hmm. but they mm-hmm. had every Kurosawa picture that you ever wanted to see. They had Every Antonioni picture that you ever want. They had every DeSica picture, every every single Godard picture, every picture that you could ever think of. And I just every weekend I would do these like festivals and either in my in my apartment, you know, with like pints of ice cream and just watching every goddamn, you know, Visconti picture that was ever made in chronological order. And then, like, when I wasn't doing that, I was at one of 10 unbelievable revival houses in New York that were having, you know, Greta Garbo festivals or, like, you know, uh, 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 Buster Keaton festivals or something, you know, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or Elizabeth Taylor. You know, it was – it does – so there were ages and ages, like, of silent pictures that we had to sit through because – 
God forbid at a dinner party, like someone would bring up, you know, like Pepe Lamoco and you'd go like, Pepe, what the fuck are you talking about? And then you'd have to go like, oh, yeah, Pepe Lamoco. <laughs> and then you'd run home and rent Pepe Lamoco and you could. And it was amazing and it was worth it. And you just sat there and watched the damn thing, you know. Yeah. And so I just I'm mad at the kids because, you know, that you say to them like any of that stuff. And they're like, what are you even talking? And that's what I'm afraid of. You know, I'm really, if that's what makes me scared, that's what scares me. Yeah. yeah. That was a rant. That was a rant. I was absolutely here for every word of it. Um, what are the beautiful movies that you watch over and over again? Um, um, I don't, what are the, be- I mean, you name it. I, you know what? I think the movie that I, I never, it's so funny. Um, Rosemary's baby just keeps coming mm. up, right? Yeah. The red shoes keeps coming up. Um, uh, uh, a Jules keeps coming up, right? Mm. Like, I don't know. There are movies that keep coming up that I keep watching over and over again. And, you know, I'm not a print queen. Like, I don't really know about prints. Of course, if I'm in a screening and someone asks my opinion and I'm in an edit session, I go, yeah, it could be this color or that color. But you haven't lived, darling, until you've seen The Red Shoes projected by Bruce Goldstein at the Film Forum. I mean, he, you haven't lived mm-hmm. until you've seen the colors projected on a screen like that. I mean, you die. You die. Yeah. Trust me. You die. Yeah. So it's, it's such an few- acid trip. I bet. What is, what is the future of the film forum? How how are those revival I houses think, surviving? You know, I COVID? think the film forum is so beloved and so kind yeah. of like kept afloat by its supporters and its board. I think uh-huh. they're going to be okay through this. I do. Okay. I do. Okay. I do. Yeah. Here's and hope. by the way, Bruce Goldstein just made this unbelievable documentary about Naked City, which he sent me. I mean, so yeah. great. So great. The mm. tiniest, tiniest, tiniest little details about that movie that you would never have known. And it was all shot in New York City on location. Amazing. Naked City. See that. See Bruce's movie. It's great. Sorry. Where was I? Oh, this is this is awesome. The flip side of my of my earlier question, I guess, is are there young people that you look at now in maybe in the fashion world, entrepreneurs or designers or or, or anyone? And you're like, OK, now you are giving me hope. You are getting me excited about. Yes. What is to come. There are a few. Um, and here's the thing. I can't remember their names. I know there's one of them is called Christopher John Rogers. And I really like what he does because he uses color a lot. And he's coming on to something. He's about to be great, you know? Mm. And then there's this other one that I love. And I think he's European and I forgot his name, but I just love him. I can't even remember his name. He might, it sounds like it might be like Scottish or something like that, Mm. but he's very kooky. Oh, well, I can't remember his name. Sorry, but he's great. How's that for an answer? He's someone. There's someone I like. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Great. And as far as like filmmakers, of course, there are so many that I love. I love Greta Gerwig. You know, I yes. think she's such a good filmmaker. Um, I love, I love this idea of, I love it. See, this is what's interesting to me is like, you know, um, the fact that now maybe, maybe, you know, there's more of an intellectual merit to things. Like it's not necessarily just 
the best filmmaker. It's like the best filmmaker who happens to be a woman or who happens to be a black person. You know, hooray, right? Finally. I mean that, finally. Because now, finally, you're going to see, like, other stories, other great stories, right? That's one way to make stuff happen is to do it that way. Right. Well, your story, uh, by the way, is I know I know you you grew up in a, a Syrian Orthodox Jewish community in Brooklyn, and yes. um, I know you've described yourself as a um, the listener a, will know chubby, he just rolled a his chubby eyes. gay thumb. Well, I rolled my eyes because I mean this again, but you do have to talk about it. I, you know, yeah. I wrote a memoir. Did you read any part of it? Because. I'm telling you, like, I love my memoir. I'm proud of that thing. It's like, you know, I do things. I'm like, yeah, buy it or something. Or, yeah, you should see the show. But the book is really good, you know. Yes. Like, I I gave it a very, very, very considerable, you know, time of my life and, and, and considerable attention in my life. And so I'm proud of it. But, yeah, I mean, um, the thing that, that I marvel about is how – how how did we get here as like how did like everyone get brainwashed about this idea of family and community you know like mm-hmm. how did that happen in this world to me it's so counter counter to the truth it's so not true you know like this thing about how family are the only people that understand you the only people that really love you I find that to be the opposite of the truth you know I mean I like my family I guess you know but it's like they don't understand me. They never understood me. You know, I became what I, I became in spite of that, you know, in spite of that formative experience. It was it was hell. And, you know, and my mom says to me, oh, who I love. I love my mom. And she goes like, oh, I didn't know that you blah, blah, that you had such a child. And I'm thinking, well, you did know. You just couldn't look at it because it was too ugly for you, you know, yeah, or yeah. you're negligent and you weren't looking. You know, which is it? Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So I'm not sure how families get such a big consideration in this world, you know, and how community gets such a big consideration. And you know what? Did you see that thing called Uncle Frank on? Um, not yet, but everyone's telling me. Don't. Talk. No, you mustn't. It's uh-huh. not the story we need. I don't agree with that movie. Not for one minute. It's oh, definitely is, not the story it? because it, you know, it goes on about it's one, it starts out in this incredible, you know, he's telling his niece that, you know, he, uncle Frank, who's this, you know, this fag who's living through this terrible exclusion from his family. He moves to New York. He meets this guy and they're together in this apartment. And it's very scary. I mean, like when I was in the eighties kind of coming out, right. It was scary. Now imagine the sixties, this happening, Right. And, uh, and it's this wonderful actor and this wonderful actress. And he says to her, you know, you got to be who you're going to be. Like, don't let them tell you who you're going to be. Right. And then it's one more story about this, this, this homosexual who goes back to his family and has to make things right with his family. And it really is like wrong. We have to stop. We have to stop like proliferating that bullshit about how homosexuals have to go back to their families and make things okay. We do not. We do not stop it already. It made me so mad. It made me so mad. One this more story like that. I'm thrilling yeah. to hear. I have to say because I'm off. 
Pistol. my family's very fragmented and there are people I don't speak to and there and and people who don't come from broken families are like you you have to make things right he's your dad what? he's your brother and it's uh, like uh, oh, no fuck them fuck the fa- fuck your family seriously okay <laughs> I said it I yeah. said it first here uh, on the field. If we daughter. titled the episodes "Fuck Your Family," it would <laughs> certainly be the title of this. <laughs> well, one. I don't know what to say. I hope people can understand that, like, this is my experience. And you know, if they're if they're in denial, get out of denial. Or you know, if you're one in a hundred thousand families that is happy, go on. You know, go right, on. Yeah. What was it? Tolstoy said, every happy family is happy in the same way. I forgot what that was, but yeah, every happy family is the same. Yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah. Or no, they're happy in the same way. And and every unhappy family is unhappy in different ways. Yeah. It's so good. It's a great quote. I don't think we got it right, but someone Googled it. We we circled it. We circled the block. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And and the message to, to, you know, to reconcile and to grow is never, um, it is always the burden of the queer yes. kids. You know, totally. it's really never. Totally. You know, no one person. ever helps you. They don't help you. I mean, no. like if your mother finally, you know, I, we went to see that show. I, I was like, if she, if they do help you, it's not that interesting. Right. I'm yeah. sorry. We love yeah. that show. We went to see like, I don't know, three years ago in London called Jamie. Did you see that oh, show? I it was like, it, yeah. Uh, yeah. And that. you know, how interesting is it that when your mother gives you your first pair of like, you know, Mo- red monster drag mm-hmm. shoes. It's not that interesting. You know, you kind of want a little bit more conflict, right? <laughs> Sorry, that was sort of a joke. That was sort of a yeah. joke. Yeah. But I, yeah. I, I, that does concern me, though. The, I, the idea of like queer kids being accepted so much earlier and so much more fully um, will, I think, lead to a generation of uh, boring queer people. And I don't know whether that's good or bad. Maybe that's what equality looks like, but yeah. Yeah, Yeah. no, I mean, I'll tell you what, like, what I'm not that, I don't care. I don't care. I think, hooray, like when I see things, I go like, wow, could you imagine if my mom, blah, 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 right? Or my dad or my uncle or my teacher, you know, could you imagine if they helped me in that way? I would be, I don't know what I would be. You don't know what they're going to be, right? They Mm. might be boring. You know what I would love to see happen in the world is if like, is if, because somehow when you say you're gay, it somehow defaults to sex all the time. Like it Mm. always refers to the sex we have as opposed to like straight people. Like they don't, it's just sex. But to us, when you say you're gay, there's this layer of like the sex that we have that is kind of like it's kind of sitting on top of the trifle and you can't dig down into the trifle, the dessert. You have to get through this layer of like the sex that we have. You know what I mean? Right. It's like, yes. yeah, because somehow like like straight stories can be about love, you know? Yeah. They automatically, like, you don't think, oh, these people do this, you know, right? You don't think that. You think, oh, they're in love. It's so romantic and it's so sweet and innocent. Whereas, like, when you think of any gay story, you you first think of, like, people, you know, whatever we do. What whole is involved. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In your memoir, I Am, which everyone must buy and read if they have not already, um, (laughs) you you talk about um, in your early days of coming out, relying on the sex line. Could you describe <laughs> well, that? Well, I mean, yes. It's like it was it was like early grinder. It's before right, yeah. grinder. It was like the a telephone line. Exactly. And it was amazing. And it was this hilarious thing where you'd call and it was 
so expensive. And, you know, I didn't care because like I was kind of making money. The thing I always thought of was like, well, someone's seeing this phone bill, like my accountant is seeing like, you know, sex line, sex line, sex line, sex line, $2,000, you know, like someone's doing the math somewhere. Um, Because, you know, I don't really, at at that time, I wasn't like, you know, paying bills is not my sort of wheelhouse, you know? Um, So the point is that it was great because you could actually hear someone's voice. (laughs) <laughs> you could right, hear someone's right. voice. You know, if uh, and I've honed this skill. I've honed it. It's like um, 20 seconds, and I know if it's an axe murderer. I can yeah. tell you from the tone of his voice. And I beep onto the next. And, of course, it's like, you know, what are you looking for? A top beep? You know, what are you looking for? Yeah. A 200-pound beep? You know, it's like yeah, hilarious. Yeah. yeah. Oh, those were the days. The, yes. the, the Channel 35 – Oh, nine seven six line day. Kidding me, Robin Bird. The extra E is for extra P. Oh, I love it. Oh yeah, nine seven six. Wow, the extra W stands for extra wow. Right, which exactly. just feels like a tautology. I mm. um, what what's Robin Bird? Is the Robin Bird show still? I don't think so. I met her. I knew her. I was never yeah. on the show though. I'm, I she never asked me to be on the show, but I I was never on the show, and um. And and I met her a few times, and I can't remember yeah. in what context. She may have come to one of my fashion shows, though I can't yeah. be certain. The great Robin, Robin Bird. The uh, great famously, Robin Bird. Famously attacked by a deer in Fire Island. Is that remember so? That? That yeah, is she got, obviously yeah. not that famous because I never heard of it. But Wow. Yeah, true story. <laughs> true story. In the Pines. Got wow. bit by a deer. Uh, wow. those, those were the days. I, I do wow. miss a Channel 35. It couldn't survive in today's climate. Public access, you know, public access, there's a lot to be said about that. Yeah. Not just not just public supported, but actually you can get in there and make the program. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Mm. I know. Mm. What was dating like for you in the young year? Like because you were established and successful so young, so those years in New York. Yeah. How did you navigate dating and and you know, when everyone is trying to get ahead, knowing, you know, sort of who's there for the right reason and Right. Well, you know, when I first started my company and in the 80s, when I first started working, I, I moved out of my mom's house when I was 20. I made it out of there. You know, I moved to New York City from Brooklyn. I'd been I'd been going to I'd been going to school in the city since high school. I went to performing arts high school, Parsons School of Design. And then finally, when I graduated, I left and I got an apartment. And it was like the beginning of my my life just blossomed. It was the best time ever, you know, having my own place and paying my own rent. And I and I and and, and I would say that's why I went into the fashion business, because it was easier to get a job than it was in show business. And 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 the most important part was getting the hell out of there. You know, like that was yeah. it. Like I didn't care what I had to sacrifice. Nothing mattered as much because I knew to my artistic spirit, it meant the most. I had to make it out of there. So that was the first thing. Then, you know, like um, somehow AIDS was a big thing in 1981 when I was 20. It was a very strange moment for AIDS. And I had just come out and I started was starting to have sex. And if I wasn't already terrified of the subject of sex and men, this just literally like stopped it down, you know? Mm-hmm. And from the age of, like I'd say 20 to the age of like 35 or something, I had as many lovers as I could count on, okay, two hands, you know? Mm-hmm. But still, you know, you knew, you heard about people who were younger than me or older than me, well, especially older than me, because they were used to like the Fire Island thing where they'd go have sex with, you know, 20 people every night. And um, anyway, so 
there was this moment when it was kind of beautiful in that it it was a little frustrating. It was a little bit frustrating because you couldn't really sleep with people, but it was this beautiful thing about just like, I remember in, in the, in the middle eighties when there were these, they had these gay dances at Columbia and it was like, what, excuse me? Like there's a gay, an openly gay dance in an auditorium somewhere in like Columbia university. And it was fabulous. Like we were so happy that we could actually be going to a gay. And then there was this amazing um, society of parties. Well, there were many, many society of parties. Like there was the beige party that happened. There was like, but there was this boys night thing that happened. And it was run by these art directors at, oh, I can't think of the name of the art direction, the, the firm. Anyway, and so like you hosted it and one, someone hosted it here and someone hosted it. And one night I hosted it at my little studio in Soho, which at the time was so cool, you know. Yeah. But it was so lovely to think that it was this, I can't tell you. And now I don't know if a gay person feels this kind of such a, such a privilege to be in a room with like other gay people, you know, like at that time, it was just a great, 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 like privilege and a great feeling of security with your, with your, with your, you know, your, your brothers and sisters, you know, it felt like such a great, like the minute you walked into a bar, you just felt this bonding, you know, and I'm not sure they get that anymore. And also like the other thing I've noticed is like, because now there are so many different kinds of sexualities and sexual identities and gender identities, like the groups are not necessarily always communicating peacefully, you know, sometimes. And I understand the anger, like you heard me getting so angry before at families and that issue. Now, imagine if you were like a trans person and someone called you the wrong pronoun. After a while, it gets very annoying. And so you get really angry. And I understand that, you know, um, and, and I see it as as a great development, you know, there's no but in the sentence. Like, yeah. I don't think that people need to look back on how it used to be. I'm just telling you that I used to feel extremely privileged to just be in a, in a gay bar. It was a yeah. privilege, you know. And, and, and so, like, but I, I completely get what I think is happening now. All of these different, like, compl- all of these different groups have identities. And for them, it's such an incredible privilege. I hope that they feel it's this incredible privilege. And they're on this fantastic upward trajectory towards, towards not inclusion, because no one wants that. Nobody wants to be tolerated or included. What I'm saying is integration. You know, it's like people want to be integrated. And, and that's been my goal for just gay people. Gay people need to be integrated or still need to be integrated. So imagine like other parts of other identities, you know, yeah. other yeah. queer identities. Yeah. Yeah. How, how did you and your husband meet? <laughs> On the street, walking the dog. I was, I was walking my dog totally. And I noticed him from across the street and not even yeah. across like 11th street. It was across fifth Avenue. So it was like, I mean, you have to, he has to be pretty darn cute to be noticed. Yeah. Like, yeah. and, and, and I, and we kind of made eye contact and we, and we passed and that was it. And I mm-hmm. walked around the corner and then he came running after me and it was like, um, wow. 
And what did you he know, say? He said, oh, my God, you're that designer. And I'm like, yes, I am. And it was finally not someone going, oh, you know, my niece wants an internship. Can are you, you know, it's like, yeah. it was like, actually, you're so cute. Like, what, you know, my name is Arnold. And it was like this wonderful thing. And he was so kind of, what's the word, like, open about it. And so gorgeous. I mean, he's gorgeous, you know, Mm -hmm. and so kind of like you could just again, like that 20 second thing where, you know, it's not an axe murderer, you know. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, by the way, I was talking about like my life till my mid thirties when I broke up with my longtime boyfriend of three or four years named Douglas. After that, honey, I just was became the biggest like sort of whore and whoredom. You know, I just slept with everybody for a really long time. And by that point, AIDS had been gotten sort of down. And we knew that if you use a condom and you have safe sex and, you know, you could believe in something. So that's what happened. And so Arnold and I was like a pickup on the street. I was walking my dog and I was like, oh, you know, this was before smartphones. I was like, oh, you know, I don't have a pen. Why don't you come upstairs and give me your phone number? And like, you know, right? Like, really? Oh, totally. Totally. No. Sorry, are you kidding? No, I, I, don't you dare apologize. No, I just, I no, no, no. It. I mean, I don't know about the generation now if they do that sort of thing. I sure hope they do. I sure hope they do. Yeah. And then was there was there a, <laughs> an old fashioned first date after that? Yes, yes. There was an old fashioned first date, and we went yeah. to this restaurant called Babo at the time, run oh, by yes. the crazy, crazy Mario Botali. Yeah, exactly. That was uh, our first date. Yeah, Babo. Yeah. An auspicious Imagine. beginning. Very auspicious beginning. And, um, and you know, the thing is, like, I believe in this. I believe that, like, I don't know why, but I just knew from the way we communicated that we would be together for a very, very long time because he just is so honest. He's so mm-hmm. honest. He doesn't lie about anything. He has, he has problems because he can't lie. You know, it's like yeah. when you don't lie, when you can't lie, you have a lot of problems because you can't. You know, you can't have social interactions like he can't have kind of superficial social social interactions. Right. Mm. And, and and that's it. like, you know, when we have dinner parties, or we have like stuff. He has a difficult time because he doesn't like everybody, you know, and he can't pretend to <laughs> he can't <laughs> pretend to like people as easily as like you can or I can. You know, yeah. <laughs> Is that horrible? I hope he's not going to be no, mad. if he That's refreshing. This, no, I love that. Uh, uh, no poker face is a good thing, actually. Yes, for life. And, and now that you you've been married, I think eight or nine years. Well, has, yeah, we've known each other for and, twenty years. I mean, we've been together for twenty years, but we've been married for about nine years. Nine years. And has being quarantined together and locked down? Have you have you learned anything new about the relationship, or is it more the well, same? Well, a what makes you assume that we are locked down together because we're not. Oh no, we're not. I mean, we were for the first month. We were together in Bridgehampton for the first month. We sort of did like every all the other chickens and fled from New York City and came to right. Bridgehampton, you know. And 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 after about a month of that, he announced that he was going back to the city. And I was like, excuse, what? You're doing, what? Are you, cr- oh, 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 you know, right? And he was like, no, I have to, I have to. I was like, well, if you do, we're breaking up because you can't come. What are you talking? You know, it's like, it took me a minute to understand why anybody would do that, you know. And then he just did it. And I was I was literally crying for two days because I thought he was going into the mouth of this crazy. And he was just totally cool about it. And anyway, so then we started doing this thing where he would come, you know, test and then come here and then I would go there and test. And, you know, I mean, like we've been doing that ever since we've been doing this thing where every 10 days or so we spend three or four days together 
and we speak every day and we, you know, FaceTime every day. And I'm telling you, it's the best thing. It was his idea and it's the oh. best thing in the world, you know. And, uh, and, and, and it's not because we weren't cohabitating beautifully because we were, you know, it's like we're really copacetic. We work very well in the same small spaces, but he just didn't see it the same way that I did. And he didn't want to stay. And there's just so much an adult can do to another adult to make them do something. You know, we don't share bedrooms. We never share bedrooms. You know, he has yeah. one bedroom and I have another bedroom. And I really think that that's the key to our, our well, I call it success, you know, our, mm. my success as a couple. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and I swear to you, this, this, um, this not cohabitating through this has been the most unbelievable fantastic thing and it's brought us so close i know that sounds a little crazy but no it doesn't no it doesn't it's given you an opportunity to miss each other that's right that's right are y'all cohabitating with your others with your specific significant others yes both are yeah we both are and we have not left each other's side in nine months but so far so good <sighs> yeah good Same. Same. that is amazing I I, yeah. I I love that i love that yeah yeah we're we were used to it because we both generally work from home, so it hasn't the adjustment hasn't been that massive. But yeah, it's right. been, you know, so far so good. Um, tell us about the the show, Cafe Carlos. Yes. Oh, it's good. I swear, it's really good. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I I love it. Again, I've invested so much in this thing. You know, um, I've been doing it forever. I've been doing clubs, and finally, Cafe Carlisle for about this will be like the, this was supposed to be the fifth year of yeah. the residence, but instead it became a virtual residence. And we all kind of, speaking of testing and quarantining and doing all that, we all did that and sort of potted, I guess, and did it and were there for like four days and did these shows um, and rehearsals and stuff. And, um, and, and it was such a great, like after, first of all, you know, this idea that I was doing that mostly, you know, like when I wasn't at the Carlisle, I was, traveling around the country, doing shows in different theaters and different clubs. And I love it. I think I love doing that more than anything, you know, with my band and singing a little bit and telling these stories and jokes and stuff and interacting with audiences, whether it's like, you know, a hundred people or 2000 people, right? It's like, mm -hmm. you always get this energy from an audience. And so like going into it, I was excited about being in the same room as like, you know, six other musicians and working with them in that way, because there's nothing like that, you know, in terms of right. uh, producing mu music. But I was also like very reticent and scared of not having an audience. The only thing that kind of motivated me was the vision I had for the show, which was this kind of like, you know, it's a cross between a performance and a documentary about the performance. And it's a cross between a performance and like, you know, bits of rehearsal and my interaction with this band that is so smart and so hilarious. And, you know, if I say something, a lot of times they react, whether they laugh or add something or, you know, that's how it works in the club. So that's how it works in the thing. And it really is great because it makes you into the audience. When you stream it, you really feel like you're part of an audience, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, as opposed yeah. to... As opposed to like, you know, these things that we've been watching, which are beautiful, 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 like the parade and the tree lighting thing. And it's like, there's nobody there. And like, everybody goes, 
at the end of a number and nobody claps. You know, here it's like the end of a number and the boys react and Ben goes, oh, I fucked up. And I go, no, 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 no one's listening. You know, you didn't, right. fa- it was fine, you know, whatever, right? I mean, it's hilarious. You'll, you have to see it. You have to see and it. As, at the time that this comes out, there, I think, will be two episodes out. One, one mm-hmm. where the guest is Suzanne Vega. Mm-hmm. One is Jackie Hoffman. That's right. And, uh, and it's on the um, Broadway World uh, streaming Platform, That's right. Events at Broadway World. I think it's called events.broadwayworld.com. Yeah. And can you give us a taste or a teaser of anything that's to come in the upcoming Well, episodes? you know, Jackie Hoffman is um, crazy and very funny and incredibly kind of she, – she, we talk about this. She's like a prototypical New Yorker in that she is like loud and fast and she says shit, you know, like – you know, she talks about how she's really glad she never had kids and it's wonderful. You know, it's like mm. so refreshing to hear someone who actually can have kids and just decided not to, you know. Right, yeah. And just for that, it's worth it. And she does the most unbelievable number like that she wrote with her pianist, someone named Pico. That's the only thing. It's Scott Pico, I think it is. But it's the most unbelievable number because it's hilarious and it's also slightly heartbreaking. Really, it's incredibly mm. smart. I'm not going to give you any more information about the number because just that alone Gotta is worth. It. You have to see her do that number. Yeah. Events.broadwayworld.com. That's right. That's All right. right. That's right. That's right. Isaac, thank you so much. Matt and you Dave. A dream. You. Such you're, an honor. You're thank so you. cute. You're so cute, both of you. Oh, if this was in person, here. I probably Ew. would have tried to pick one of you up. So. <laughs> okay. Listen, it's an honor. We'll get We're there. blushing. 2021. 2021, darling. Okay. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you, Isaac. Well, Matt, we've come to the end of another episode. Dave, 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 Dave. Thank you for being here with me, giving Thank me you, a Matt. reason to live. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you for reviewing us on Apple Podcasts with five stars only, of course. Thank you to Renee Colvert with a T, mm-hmm. our, our producer. Thank you to Ryan Connor, our engineer. Thank you to everybody at Earwolf. Uh-huh. Thank um, you, Ben Wise, for the music. Yes. And thank you, listener, for listening. Uh, tell a friend. Leave a review. We love you. We love you.